6640. 6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 37 through 39. Verse 20, Therefore hear now, I pray thee, O my Lord the King, let my supplication, I pray thee, be accepted before thee, that thou cause me not to return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. So Jeremiah, on the one hand, gives him what he asked for, the word from the Lord, then raises this interesting challenge, hey, why am I in prison and these guys free? But then makes one petition. Don't send me back to that to the, you know, to that dungeon, okay? Because you didn't want to die there. So verse 21, Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah into the court of the prison, that they should give him, and, and that they should give him a daily piece of bread out of the Baker Street until all the bread in the city was spent. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. There's a courtyard. So yes, he's still under arrest, but he's not in a dungeon at the moment. The court turns out to have a cistern full of yuck, and uh, Jeremiah is going to have more trouble before it's all over. But the point is Zedekiah is interesting. Zedekiah does give Jeremiah a, a measure of relief. He does not send him, he agree, he, he does grant the, the request. He does not go back to the house of Jonathan the scribe where there was the dungeon. So he's allowed to be in the court of the prison, okay? He also is given a daily ration of bread. Now, that doesn't sound like much. You may, that may sound like, you know, pretty meager stuff, but you've got to recognize the city is under siege. There isn't much rations for anybody. But the king has ordered that Jeremiah not be shortchanged, that he be given. As long as there's bread, he gets some. Now, you'll also notice here, it's kind of interesting, it says, uh, until all uh, bread out of the baker's street, right? The street of the baker. Now, this has got nothing to do with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. But it is interesting because I believe it's the only street name in the Bible. Street called Straight. You're right, by the Kabbalah. I'm wrong. There's, 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 two, there's two street names. If the street, the street that is called Straight is a street name, isn't it? I'm wrong. I, thought, I, 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 I tried to check that, too. But I'm wrong. Good, okay. I'm wrong. Tune up the heresy filters, Bill. I blew it again. Okay. Until the bread and the... Okay, it is spent. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So ends chapter 37. With only one mistake, at least. I should say at least one mistake, right? Okay. Um, street call straight, that's right. And so, so, much, so much for my, my diligence, right? Acts 17.11, top right-hand corner of your stretch pad. Luke tells you don't believe anything Chuck Mister tells you. We search the scriptures daily to prove whether those things be so. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then Shephatiah, the son of Matan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malachiah, 
heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the, by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live, for he shall have his life for a prize, and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, the city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of, of, the, of, king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. You know, that's pretty tough stuff, because he's pre he, he is preaching desertion. He is preaching for them to give up. He is preaching surrender, in effect. He that remaineth in the city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Those are glib words. It's hard for us to dramatize that. Don't want to dwell on it because it just gets depressing. But you do need to recognize that we're playing serious games here and that these people are uh, not going to live. They're going to get slaughtered. They're starving. And that brings disease. It's grim stuff. Those that leave and yield themselves to the Chaldeans will still be slaves, but they at least live. And that's what Jeremiah is saying that God, that the Lord is, the, you know, that God is saying that the Lord is telling them to, to yield themselves to the Chaldeans. It's not hard for us to visualize the secular mind in that context, and that these princes of Judah get teed off with Jeremiah. It's good for us from a spiritual point of view to indict them, but at the same time, from a secular point of view, we can, when we realize that that's a very natural reaction on the princes of Judah, uh, it helps us to rec recognize it in our day. The spiritual viewpoint is rarely visible in administrative circles. Um, even in this country, which has had a, a, you know, at least originally had a Christian tradition, there, the secular mind has no capacity to relate in any serious terms to a spiritual position. And thus we have it here. Thus saith the Lord, the city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Verse 4, therefore the princes said unto the king, we beseech thee, let this man be put to death. For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city, and the hands of all the people, and speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of this people, but the harm. That's their view. It's a very rational view from a secular position. I'm not trying to extol the secular position, but... I think we can easily not get the tenor of the passage if we smugly, from a spiritual view, say, boy, those are the bad guys, they're wrong, they should have listened to Jeremiah. That's certainly true, don't misunderstand me. But recognize the um, secular logic from their point of view, and it allows us to relate this more to our day. The administration of whatever kind is, is a secular administration, and that's what exactly what we're having here. They have no capacity to relate to the spiritual relevance of what uh, Jeremiah was um, was uh, presenting to them. Verse 5, Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he who can do anything against you. So Zedekiah, in his weakness, doesn't protect Jeremiah. That's, that's disturbing. Zedekiah, with all his weaknesses, you would think. I mean, he, he had the perception to secretly seek out Jeremiah and say, hey, what, what's the Lord saying? That means he must ascribe to Jeremiah some degree of spiritual insight. 
must recognize that in some sense, Jeremiah is a pipeline. He may not have liked the message. He might even have discounted it, saying, well, that's just Jeremiah. I don't really believe it for reasons 7 through 20. I don't but still, for him to yield and allow these guys to take Jeremiah with the intent of killing him is a bit discouraging. It says Zedekiah is pretty weak. If Zedekiah was totally secular and, and hated Jeremiah, fine. He's wrong, but you understand it. What's disturbing is, to me, is that he's just weak. He's a, he's a reed in the wind. He agrees with whoever spoke to him last. You all had bosses like that, large organizations, I'm sure, you know. Whoever went into his office most recently has the word, okay? And when your opposition, uh, you know, you go there, he agrees, and when your opposition says he agrees with him and whoever's last wins, kind of nonsense. Well, weak people, and uh, the tragedy is in positions of political power, they kill people. Um, now, in this case, the king doesn't protect Jeremiah, but I wouldn't trade Zedekiah's protection for the protection under whom Jeremiah resides. I don't mean Gedalia. Who do I mean? God, you betcha. So uh, God is not through with Jeremiah yet. And so Jeremiah is in great shape, although he doesn't know it yet. Verse 6, Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. The court of the prison apparently is a fairly large but secure place. Okay. There is another dungeon. We're not talking about the dungeon that was... The house of Jonathan, this is another spot, the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech. And they let Jeremiah down with cords, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sunk in the mire. What this apparently was, was an unused cistern, something that was maybe originally a cistern, some kind of deep, gooky thing. You know, something that uh, you generally would reserve for scenes from Edgar Allan Poe or something, right? And so they lower Jeremiah down there. You don't get the impression that they were there to save his life. I mean, the point is, is they asked for and got permission of the king to kill him. The probability is they didn't want to slay him directly because he did have a following. I mean, it was, you know, they didn't want to make a public spectacle of slaughtering Jeremiah. You'd think they would because he was selling a treasonous message. The way to handle that, one way would be handle it saying, hey, try him for treason, make it public, cut off his head or something publicly to put an end to the message among the people. Because that was their gripe back here. He's, they said, let this man put death for he thus weakeneth the hands of the men of the war that remain in the city and the hands of all the people. Understandable. Hey, this guy's telling the, we can't have this guy running around saying surrender. It, it disturbs the spirit of the soldiers who were trying to get fight, and, you know, the whole thing. You can understand their point of view. What would you do then? Go in public. Why don't they? Answer, because he had a following. They choose to have him just disappear quietly. They don't advertise that he's dead for practical purposes. They put him in the cistern with the intention, apparently, of, of just letting him die there. Not going to get any food. He's mucking down in the mire down here, and from their point of view, he's gone. Okay. I bet you Jeremiah thought so, too. Now when Ebed melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king was then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed 
Malik went forth out of the king's house and he spoke to the king saying, now this guy's got guts. You have to give him credit. Because the princes of Judah who put this guy in the dungeon were not trivial guys, enough so that the king didn't choose to confront them. So, uh, but Ebed Melech sees the injustice of what's going on. And like most of us, it's easy not to make any waves. He could murmur in the comfort of his friends saying, boy, they sure shouldn't do that. Have you heard the latest? Or whatever. He doesn't do any of that. He goes to the king. Now, the king happens to be sitting in the gate of Benjamin. That's where he, you sit in the gate. To, he's probably doing some administrative procedure, hearing cases or something. Being at the gate is analogous to sitting in court, hearing cases, making judgments. And so the king apparently is sitting, sitting in the gate of Benjamin. Don't, that doesn't mean, you know, the, the implication there isn't that he's just sitting in the gate watching what's going by. He's there officially doing some administrative act. And Mehmet Malik goes there, went forth out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. Now, that's a gussy thing to say. Jeremiah wasn't too popular. He was unpopular with some pretty powerful guys. And he is likely to die of hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. And the king commanded Ebed Malik the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. Well, great, Zedekiah. I'm a little un unimpressed with your backbone. Whoever talks to you last gets your okay. You know, this first group said they want to kill him. He says, fine, go do it. This guy says, no, no, let's save him. He says, fine, fix it. So you don't get too impressed with Zedekiah. But in fairness to him, he obviously must have some feeling for Jeremiah. And he does give the authority. Now, it's interesting. I don't know how heavy Jeremiah was. And he has to be raised out of the cistern. But I do have the feeling it didn't take 30 guys to do it. Now, some scholars, certain manuscripts say three rather than 30, but it turns out when you poke that one hard, the 30 seems to be the better manuscripts. Why 30 guys? Well, it's probably a couple to pull them out of there and the rest to keep away interference. You see, in other words, what the king, I think, is authorizing is not only giving him the authority to go get him, but take it up with you so you're not harassed. And so they do that. So verse 11, so Abed Melech took the man with him, went out of the house of the king under the treasury, and took their old rags and worn out garments. I mean, what's going on there? An act of caring. An act of caring. Because Jeremiah is emaciated, probably ill, and so that the ropes would not hurt him. They take cloth and make a sling for him to slip into to haul him out of there. So they took old rags and worn-out garments and let them down by cords, that is the garments, into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And Abed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Put now these old rags and worn-out garments under thy armpits, under the cords. And, and Jeremiah did so. So it, you get an insight into Abed-Melech. He's not only administratively on target, you can see he cares. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So he got him, he's, still in, he's still in prison, but he's out of this mire, this slime pit, or whatever it was. Ebed-Melech, interesting guy, right? 
What's his name? We don't know. Abed Melech is untranslated. It means servant of the Lord. Correction, servant of the king. Melech means king. Melech is king. Abed is servant of the king. I'm always fascinated in the scripture when the Holy Spirit, our comforter, shows up by type. He's always an unnamed servant. When Abraham, right after he offers Isaac, that's chapter 22 of Genesis, you get chapter 24 of Genesis, Abraham takes an unnamed servant. We know his name from other passages, but there he's an unnamed servant. He's in the role of the Holy Spirit getting a bride for Isaac, unnamed servant. Book of Ruth, we have Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the Goel of, of the story. Ruth, the Gentile that becomes his bride, is introduced to him. By whom? Unnamed servant. And I'm fascinated throughout the Scripture that the Holy Spirit, by type, is always modeled, if you will, as an unnamed servant. Why? John 14 tells us. He will not bear witness of himself. Who does he bear witness of? Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting here that there's a type of some profound disclosure. I haven't gone into it that deeply. But I am intrigued that this Ebed Melech is at least a comforter of Jeremiah. He's a help, and he extracts Jeremiah from his predicament. So at least in some sense, one could argue, I suppose, that he is in fact a type of the Holy Spirit, in a sense. Um, you can make a, um, a, a thing of that. There are ways that I could build a case that Jeremiah is a type of Christ, but I won't build that here. It's a distraction right now. But as in it, it is interesting that Ebed Melech is not really his name. It's translated as his name, and that may, but his name happened, the word Ebed Melech happens to mean servant of the king. He's really an unnamed servant. That's really a title, not his name. So for what it's worth, you can make something out of that if you're so inclined, uh, but I think it's kind of fun. So we're down to verse 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet in, unto him in the third entrance that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing. Hide nothing from me. I don't quite understand that because he gave him pretty straight answers earlier, right? But here's Zedekiah. Now, I guess he does have something to trade on because he's just saved Jeremiah's life, so I suppose he feels he can make a ask for a favor. But the king sent, took Jeremiah the prophet and took him into the third entrance that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing, hide nothing from me. Then Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, If I declare it unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? To Zedekiah the king swore secretly. What a gutless king. Zedekiah the king swore secretly unto Jeremiah. You know, one thing, you do get the impression that that court must have been a mess because this king is tiptoeing around the politics of, those, of the princes of Judah. So he apparently is in a pretty tenuous position. In any case, he swore secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth, who made us this soul, I will not put thee to death, neither will I give thee into the hand of these men who seek thy life. So Zedekiah is giving him, in effect, a certain commitment of protection here. Then said Jeremiah to Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live and thy house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, 
The reason he's saying that, incidentally, is that in the siege, Nebuchadnezzar has his second string watching it. I mean, this isn't a varsity deal. He's got a second string. Where is Nebuchadnezzar? Up at Riblah, which is quite a ways away. He's, he's set up his command post um, up beyond Gilead, up to the north. But Nebuchadnezzar's got a field command post, but it's a long way from Jerusalem. His, his princes are the ones running the siege. Small point, but it's interesting that the text is sensitive to that. And if thou wilt not go to the king of Babylon's princes, then shall the city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. And Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they mock me. Verse 20, Then Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee. So it shall be well with thee, and thy soul shall live. But if thou refuse to go forth, this is the word that the Lord hath shown me. And behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be brought forth to the king of Babylon's princes, and those women shall say, Thy friends have set thee on, and have prevailed against thee. Thy feet are sunk into the mire, and they are turned away back. So they shall bring out of all thy uh, bring out all thy wives and thy children to the Chaldeans, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand, but shalt be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and thou shalt cause this city to be burned with fire. Then said Zedekiah to Jeremiah, Let no man know of these words, and thou shalt not die. So Zedekiah gets the message, doesn't heed it, by the way. I also ask that this all be kept quite quiet. He just as soon not have these princes realize that he's been getting counsel from Jeremiah. Boy. Verse 24, Then said Zedekiah to Jeremiah, Let no man know of these words, that thou shalt not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with thee, now he's talking about the princes of Judah, and they come unto thee, and say unto thee, Declare unto us now what thou hast said unto the king. Hide it not from us, and we will not put thee to death. Also what the king said unto thee. Then thou shalt say unto them, I presented my supplication before the king, that he would not cause me to return to Jonathan's house to die there. In other words, the king is asking Jeremiah not to disclose to the princes of Judah what really went on here. Verse 27, And then came all the princes unto Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they ceased speaking with him, for the matter was not perceived. So Jeremiah abode in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. Now, a lot of people are really upset with Jeremiah because they feel he lied to the princes of Judah. He didn't lie, he just didn't tell them the whole truth. In other words, he told them that he'd made these supplications, but he didn't explain, A, that he gave the king the message, or the king told him to keep a secret. So he, he, he told them the truth, but not the whole truth. And there's papers written by, G. Jeremiah told a lie. Well, I don't see it that way, but whatever he did, he did. There it is. Chapter 39, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the tenth month, and came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all his army against, against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. This is the fall of Jerusalem. Until now, we've been predicting it, talking about it, worrying about it. It now happens. The ninth day of the fourth month and the eleventh year of Zedekiah. That date is extremely important in the history of Israel. 
It's the date that Jerusalem fell. The ninth day of the fourth month, the eleventh year of Zedekiah. We'll talk more about chronology sometime. It's really complicated. I don't want to distract us right now. Just note that, that you don't have to know the day, but recognize that that day is nailed down in the Word of God four times. We find it. Um, we find the fall of Jerusalem chronicled four times. Chapter fifty-two of this book, which was added by, which is an appendix to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 52, 2 Kings 25, and 2 Chronicles 36, and here. Four places the fall of Jerusalem is detailed. Very important and historical event, the life of the nation Israel. Verse 3, And all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. And here we really get into some pronunciation challenges. Here the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. Even Nergal Sherezer, Sam Garnebo, Sarsikim, Rabsaris, Nergal Sharizer, there's a similar name as we saw earlier. I'll come back to that. Rabmak with all the residue of the princes of the king of Babylon. Now, the problem with this is, is that you're not sure how many people are mentioned here because some of these names, the Rab is a chief of, it's a title, not a name. Nergal Sharizer is both a title, but there apparently is two of them. The first one, it was Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, and he succeeds him as um, Nigaliser, I think is the way you pronounce his name. Sarsakim was the chief of the eunuchs, and this last Nergal is a Rabmak, he's the chief of the Magas, or possibly a predecessor of the Magi, which the Persians uh, subsequently develop into a, the Zoroasterism. But uh, anyway, all the residue of the princes of, of the king of Babylon. It came to pass, verse 4, that when Zedekiah the king of Judah saw them and all the men of war, then they fled. And... Um, went forth out of the city by night by way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls, and they went out the way of the Arabah. In other words, they try to split. They actually get all the way to the Jordan, I believe, but they take them and they, they carry them north to Riblah. And the Chaldeans' army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.